Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With a love of land and farming, Olin Greenan travelled to New Zealand to farm for a year in 2001 after college. Over 20 years on, and still there and thriving, we hear how his dairy career has gone from strength to strength, and his passion and pride for farming has sustained. Well, I suppose Emma Louise have got to thank me, my parents, and particularly my father for that love of the land. Um, back in the Stony Grey Isle of Monaghan, um, young nipper there, and I suppose... Um, uh, of an early age, I, I, you know, I know no, nothing else but farming. Um, great recollection. And there's one particular Irish farmer's journal uh, I used to race to that. Uh, my brothers would be going to the shoot in the match magazine and I'd run for the, the journal every Thursday evening. Mum would bring it back. But uh, there's one to stay on. I remember one picture of uh, on the front cover of a young fella sitting in a little pedal tractor rolling the pit. And that's just, just a vivid memory of reading the Farmer's Journal. But no, so to answer your question, I suppose, since it was knee high, I was uh, deeply ingrained. Um, it was a small farm at home with, uh, well, at that time, probably 25 cows. Uh, I suppose my first memories was probably just when quotas, unbeknownst to me, when quotas were introduced, actually. And and on that, like, you know, you, you took it on as a career path and you studied agriculture after school. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, funny. Um, it's interesting. Just there's probably um, we've all got a bit of a sliding doors moment in our career, and uh, I always wanted to farm, but my parents were quite um, adamant that you know the farms here, and it's important that you get a you get an education. And and at that stage, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but agriculture was always on the cards. But when I was studying for my junior certificate, um, my father had an accident. He had. Um, injured his eye and as a result of that he had to take some time off work so I dropped out of school intermittently um, didn't sit the junior certificate and was sitting probably in in limbo as to whether I'd ever go back to school again and I guess that sliding door moment was uh, the careers guidance um, Greens guidance counsellor at St McCartan's College Monaghan um, encouraged me to come back and said look don't worry about the junior cert we'll slot you into fourth year and, you know, I often think of that time if I if I had said no and didn't go back, what, what, what would have happened? And uh, as a result of that, went on, finished the leaving certificate. And then, uh, yeah, I wasn't brainy enough to get enough points to get into UCD, but um, managed to managed to travel across to England to Rittle College, which is in Essex, and um, had a great time there, a good Irish community there. And um, looking back, yeah, fantastic few years uh, of my life so I studied uh BSA Ag and uh, agriculture over there and um yeah and then um at that stage didn't really know what um life was going to bring and New Zealand was on the cards wanted to you know have a travel over there and see what was happening and uh, have a recollection of one of my dairy lecturers um Dr Howard said to me every every dairy enthusiast should have New Zealand stamped in their passport so lo and behold in 2001 I came out here for a year and here we are just over 20 year, years later uh, <laughs> I'm still here. Let, let's touch on the home farm for a minute Olin. What were you doing on the home farm? Yeah so dad's uh, still milking there he's milking about 40 cows now so it's just a just a um, just a dairy farm a couple of followers and I suppose look typical um, mono, you know heavy ground fragmented land some of the subject to flooding and I suppose even during university, my, my heart wanted to farm at home, but my head thought this is going to be challenging. And there was various options that I looked at, maybe 
um, you know, part-time farming and uh, having a job off farm. But the reality was it was it was going to be a hard, you know, you'd, you'd fall between two stools. So uh, quotas were, were, were present at the time. And I suppose from an expansion point of view, there was a lot of, a lot of barriers there. And look, maybe in hindsight, I had blinkers on as well. And um, yeah, I do often wonder if different set of eyes, what, how I may have looked at that, but sometimes you have to experience, you know, the wider world to sort of look at those things. And then looking in hindsight, it's a lot easier as well. And it's interesting, you know, the the contrast, you talk about finishing up with college in 2001, um, you know, very much um, a quota scenario in Ireland, the complete opposite in New Zealand. So you headed out there for a year and that turned into 20. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I suppose um didn't really know what I was letting myself in for. Came here just off my own back, seen an advert. Um, it was a job agency advertising in the in the in the um, UK Farmers Weekly, and I contacted them, and they got in touch and said, "Look, there's a there's a farm just outside of Hamilton, which I had no idea where it was at that particular time. Um, they're looking for like a farm assistant, so I had my working holiday visa." Landed out there not knowing a sinner um, with nothing but a, a rucksack on my back. And uh, yeah, was um, was was welcomed uh, op- with open arms with a, a Colin and Karen Board were my first employers in New Zealand. There was a, a 550 cow farm, just a typical New Zealand farm, um, just 10 minutes outside of Hamilton and um, settled in there sort of mid-season, or arrived in October. So just uh, finishing AI. But the first contrasting thing for me was uh, driving down the road from the airport I was thinking where the heck's all the sheds you know and it turned up on the farm and and I said where where's the rest of the sheds and I said this is it so straight away you know the comparison with the I suppose the lower amount of capital needed um, this was a 550 cow farm there was probably more sheds at home on dad's farm um, so look stayed there for a year well initially staying there for a year and then was sort of gearing up to go home and Colin came back to me, said, look, at um, if you, uh, I'll shout you, I'll shout you a trip home. I'll pay for your flight if you come back to work for us. <laughs> you can see the powers of persuasion where, where, where it works. So look, um, jumped in plane, had a holiday, come back, did another year. And at this stage, I was, was still sort of thinking, oh, don't really know what I'm going to do. And then I got shoulder tapped on the, by a neighbouring farmer to see what I, um, would I go a sole charge managing firm? And I don't really know. I suppose it just shows you maybe um, you're on, you're always being watched. <laughs> I didn't know that I was uh, being eyed up for this job, but I suppose it shows, yeah, you know, the message to many people is your reputation is is on show all the time. And, you know, creating a good impression obviously opens doors for you. So then, um, yeah, as a result of that, Roger Hunt um, employed me in nearby Taipei, just across the road from where I've been to, Sole charge managed 270 cows. So here I was sort of two and a half, three years in New Zealand and I was managing a, a farm nearly 10 times as big as what we're milking at home. And suddenly then you sort of think, wow, um, there's opportunities here. Would I would I have got into a management position with this size as quickly as home? And the answer is probably no. So still at the crossroads, my mum would be sending me advertisements from jobs in the Farmer's Journal and wondering what I was up to. And then I decided, well... I need to try for residency because there's a pathway here um, that I can see. Wasn't still fully committed um, to New Zealand, but got involved in some farming competitions and um, taking part in some of those was a bit of uh, sort of career planning and goal setting. And I worked with my, well, my now bank manager um, working through some scenarios about 
going 50-50 share milking. And I realized, goodness me, it's actually not that hard. You know, I don't need that much more money to, to, to pick down a hair. So anyway, long story short, um, uh, played for the residency, got that. And then in, in 2006, the plot thickens greatly when I met my now wife, Anna. Um, so now there was a there was a pull factor to stay in New Zealand. Um, and and in, in tandem with that, I took on a, a contract milking role um, back in that previous farm where I started. So did three years there, um, got paid. So contract milking, got paid a set price per kg of milking, uh, milk solid. I was responsible for the staffing and some small running expenses. And this was a great stepping stone, I suppose, to my future 50-50 career or share milking career in the sense that you learn how to run your own business, the tax obligations and all those things. And then you learned how to um, manage staff and uh, without a major mortgage over your head. Um, part of that salary package was I got 15 heifers every year um, as part of my package. So in three years, I had 45 yearlings and a sum of money and I went and bought some. And then in 2009, we, um, we got our first share milking job, uh, 300 cows. Um, in Eureka, not, still in the Hamilton area. There was another probably quite significant moment in my career then in 2008, contested the New Zealand Share Milker, or sorry, New Zealand Farm Manager of the Year Awards and won the Waikato, which was chuffed with and went on to the Nationals and took out the national title. So that was that was fantastic as well. Just a, a really proud moment to, to think, you know, in just under eight years was on the pinnacle of the managers or whoever else was com- competing. And that helped. Um, so if you remember 2008, the financial crisis was uh, was just beginning and the goalpost changed from a lending requirement. But thankfully, having that uh, recognition in the um, National Dairy Awards helped help get the loan application across the, the line. So here we were, 2009, um, just starting a chairman job with 300 cows. So, so that was your first big experience of um, share milking. How did that compare to the contract milking role, Olin? Well, it was. I suppose the first thing it was it was downsizing in cows. So I suppose the intensity of, well, at that time, what I felt like was intensity of managing five fifty cows was a little different. Um, it, it was a pretty lean farm, that three hundred cow farm. I managed to do that. I had a had a full-time spring helper for, you know, for calving and AI and then then did it on my own thereafter. Um, and really that that set us up for good stead. It was a good farm. We had a pretty frugal farm owner. Um, I just started up my share and business and was pretty um, careful with costs and we made some really good good inroads there. Um, I guess that the other probably pivotal thing in that too was um, owning, now owning our own herd. Um you know, there was, there was definitely definitely a proud proud moment and that little bit more, uh, I suppose, more, um, uh, you, you know, you were more interested in the breeding and that and the future of your herd. So my wife, well, we, we weren't married at this stage, but Anna, she was working off farm as a clinical dietitian in um, Hamilton Hospital. So I chipped away and we we were there for um, there for four years, actually. Um, but actually in the last year we lost 30 hectares of lease blocks so we, had, we sort of stood still there for a year and we were kind of we sort of thinking where where to next and we kind of got a bit comfortable in the Waikato um, and had some friends there and didn't really want to move and then our hand was forced somewhat um, just we needed to grow our business and um, there wasn't a lot of jobs around this was 2013 but we we secured a job um, 
480 cows up in South Auckland, so actually half an hour from the airport. We spent five years there. That, that was that was a tough enough five-year period. Um, well, look, there was some really good highs there. Both our children were born in that period. However, um, we had big fluctuations in production on that farm. It was a wet farm. It was a dry farm. Uh, you know, we 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 fluctuated twenty thousand solids in one you know from one year to the next, and it also coincided with the the dreaded three dollar eighty payout. So, so luckily though, we weren't we weren't highly indebted at that time. Um, but looking back, we probably sat in a holding pen, and once again, then and this just highlights the I guess the high risk high return. Um, Thing with share milk and uh, once again the farm went on the market and we were we were left in limbo again thinking where where do we go what do we do and we we explored from the tip of the north island to the bottom of the south island at various ventures of share milk and at equity partnerships and, and as things turned out ironically um we secured a position 12 minutes away from where we had moved uh, at hamilton to our present uh, day location so we're now Share milk and 650 cows here um, on, on, uh, in Morrinsville um, since 2018. And interestingly, last year, we then took on our old additional share milking job, uh, 250 cows. It was now 250 because of that lost land. So all in all, we're just calving under 900 cows, um, all bit in three different sheds, three different parlours. But yeah, so look, um, it's been an interesting um interesting journey but enough to you still still plenty of challenges and uh you're still enjoying every day you go to bed you're pretty pretty proud to be a dairy farmer and um not losing any passion yet so that's that's the main thing and and to pick up on a few things olin like you had mentioned earlier in the conversation based on you know the career planning and goal setting that you could see the figures adding up in terms of it wasn't going to cost you um, a whole lot to get into cows. So can you tell us a little bit about the system in terms of, I suppose, the value of the the animal and what way the banking system worked at that stage in New Zealand? Yeah, it's a very good point you bring up, Emma Louise, because, um, and I'm not sure whether uh, whether things have changed, but I know I know talking to some people in Ireland trying to trying to leverage off stock and there was a, a no-go and, and, and using it as collateral. So just for example, in New Zealand, um, you, you you had the value of the cow and you could borrow 65% of that value. So for argument's sake, I had those, um, well, I had 60 yearlings at the time. And if they were um, if they were valued at $1,500 each, the bank would loan you 65% uh, of that. So in essence, you're not, not just, but you're nearly getting another you know, you're nearly getting you're getting over half an animal for for that money. So you know you were you were building security quite quickly through livestock. Um, so that that to me was was massive. Um, yes, I had cash saved up from the contract milking job, but being able to go in there with that livestock and and you can see then that was leveraged again in those additional moves. Um, so that was a fantastic. Uh, way and I suppose it was tried and tested I'm not sure maybe you can fill me in is 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 it still like have the banks loosened their their outlook of that in in an Irish context or yeah I would say that there there is some acknowledgement of um stock and the amount of money that can be gained unsecured is rising but I would say that they're still quietly cautious uh from an Irish context yeah yeah because I mean there's there's a whole um there's a whole host of 
of really good things about that if you think of a young person um so so even for example if you're on weight so when it was on weight sorry when it was contract milking um there wasn't a lot of expenses and as a result there was a high tax liability so to speak so buying additional young stock and grazing them then that grazing cost could be offset um against your profit so you know there's a fantastic way there of of keeping your tax tax bill low yet growing growing animals sort of sort of way and um I guess it also gives you the opportunity to to understand contracts and grazing plant grazing contracts and and how your business works. So you're sort of building a set of skills uh, very early on, um, and then also doing doing those doing those jumps incrementally. When you um, you know when you think of a cow, it, 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 a cow is a magic machine that can can recreate another cow, another young calf. So you sort of you're growing your numbers year on year as well, aren't you? Absolutely. Another point that um, you, you mentioned is, you know, you were very much Hamilton based and you made that big move to South Auckland. And it is probably one of those moves when we think about it, it's pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and getting comfortable with the unknown and the, the uncomfortable. Um, you know, how big um, a learning curve was that, you know, in terms of really adjusting to a, a completely different farm type relative to what you'd been used to for over 10 years? Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and I suppose like you sort of, I'm laughing now at, thinking the enormity of an hour and a half up the road um but i suppose in the context of where we're at you know we were we had we had a social circle here and um, we didn't have children at that time so i suppose um having friends nearby was important and then i guess i had built my home from home having um i suppose i thought i'd made my one big move coming to new zealand and um in a real irish fashion sort of comfortable again in a local community so um but you know sometimes i think yeah I often wonder you know if 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 we had been more ambitious and maybe moved to the South Island or whatnot, but um, in saying that, uh, things have things have worked out okay. Now the farm, so it was on the fringes of of Auckland, um, and we lived in a probably in a more lifestyle block. So there wasn't a lot of dairy farmers next door, and um, just that network was a bit more fragmented. Although as time went by, I established some good um, friendships and networks up there, but it was a different kettle of fish. Um, and as I've mentioned, they're not as productive a land as here in the Waikato. So, uh, but look, you, you put these things, as I say, we, um, our two, two children were born there and uh, we, you know, that, that was a, a pretty big event in our lives. So we, we look back with, with some good memories. Maybe the balance sheet didn't, didn't move as well as we want, but uh, I guess it, it highlights some of those non-monetary things are as much, uh, just as important. And, and a side point um, to the changing of farms is this idea of, gypsy day and on the first of june you pack up lock stock and barrel and you know your your life moves um you know in, in overnight essentially um i was actually in new zealand at that time of year uh, back in 2012 and, and i found it fascinating and it's something that you don't necessarily see in ireland can you tell us a little bit about it and is it a kind of a hectic experience or or is it enjoyable to move on to the new challenge yeah, it's um, you know, having done it one, two, three times, sort of um moving with stock. Um, I guess each time it gets easier and easier, but when you actually take a step back and think, isn't it, isn't it just pure mad when you think about it? Um so I guess the historically the um 
the contracts are set um, to, to roll over. So each farm farming year is 1st of June to 31st of May. So that's that's more in context with the with the season. Um, cows are dried off. They'll begin calving in, in six weeks. So historically, that was the easy time to, for a spring calving here, that was the easiest time to, to leave. However, if you think about it, um, I'm leaving to somewhere else. That person has to be out of the house for me. I can't go early because I can't get into their house. And then the person coming into my job can't can't get in early because I'm still there. I'm the same with the livestock. So take a hell of a lot of coordination. Um, I guess when I come here first, most people sort of had a rough idea how it worked and it's sort of unwritten rules about, you You know, you can be in the house till 12 o'clock, uh, 12 p.m. Um, the stock, you can start moving stock a couple of days either side. You can start moving machinery. But this whole thing about relationship building, is it's so important um, and particularly striking and we were lucky that every time we moved we struck a good good relationship with the incumbent people on that property because that's the that's the key to it um our last shift i think we trucked uh just over 600 cows in one day you know with all the units but it didn't feel like that so we had a uh, sort of anna anna took ownership of the domestic stuff we well we two young kids and i should mention them jack and noah jack's eight and Noah's six, um, great part of her life, uh, but they were quite young. But Anna, Anna sort of the domestic stuff, and I looked after the machinery and, and the cows. And in our last shift as well, we took two of our staff with us, so we sort of sort of um, overseeing um, the movement of them. But they were a great part of the the shift because you needed someone on the other end to unload your new cattle and that. So it is mad um, to think like you one night you sleep on your old house next morning your new place and I'll, particularly this last time I arrived here in the darkness um, I'd been on the farm a few times but pretty bizarre walking out to a new property and all your cows are in a different paddock and you think wow this is this is the new beginning here so um, yeah it's uh, it is when you actually just when you mention it about how bizarre and the whole host of admin that's associated with that change and changing phone accounts, changing addresses, changing um, power things and all those sorts of things. But I suppose because it's happened so so for so many years here, most people are reasonably familiar with it. You've documented your career journey, Olin, and, you know, farm assistant to management to contract milker to 50-50 share milker. You know, is the 50-50 share milker model the most preferable for you, um, you know, across all of the roles that you have completed to date. Absolutely, yeah. At this at this stage, it is. Um, and I and I guess you've mentioned there. There's no, it's it's such a nice incremental sort of ladder. Um, you know, I've seen people, I've seen people jump from uh, herd manager to fifty fifty share milking, and so they've went from living on wages, getting paid every two weeks having no sort of administrative stuff to, to taking on a mortgage and learning how to run their own business. So it's, it's a big, that's a big step. Whereas the others, uh, a lovely, lovely little stepping stone. Um, similarly, I've seen people, some people get a bit obsessed by the title and they'll chase that contract milking role because they've seen that it's progress, but a lot of times, you know, and it's all about doing due diligence in any, in any sort of arrangement, um, you just gotta you gotta know your numbers and you know you gotta use your gut instinct as well and and lean on your peers and your your mentors for for advice and and the, the example I'm using there you know a farm manager might decide to go contract milking and uh, at the end of the day he might he might be under 
he he might have been far better off waiting in that farm manager role for a number of years, say, banking that money and wait for a, another opportunity. So I suppose my message there is just don't don't get too obsessed with the title. Um, just wait wait till the right uh, move occurs, or so the right opportunity right uh, presents itself. And at the outset of the conversation, you mentioned, you know, a love of the land. Um, And if we think about land from an Irish context, land ownership is ingrained in people. Um, Is that something that you possess? And, you know, in the future, is that what you're aiming for? Yeah, so it's a it's a tricky one. Absolutely, you know, we're we're we definitely want to get our own place, but the the conflict of course then when you get the calculator out, uh, it's like a land agent said to me one time. He says, uh, "If you want to buy a farm, throw the calculator away." I mean, that's not totally true, but um, when you when you look at the the returns out of the share milking business, um, I, I guess when you think about it, we've got only maybe one tenth of the of the capital tied up as the landowner um, when we're getting the same money. However, we're doing a good deal of the work. Um, and I used, I used to, I used to saying high risk, high return. So it's very, it's very good high returning, but extremely high risk. And there comes a stage in your life that, you know, when your kids are, are growing up and you're, you're coming comfortable in a community, you want to, you want to be able to, you know, Put your roots down and uh, and put a marker in the sand, and that that's what we're longing for. But we're also stuck in this, um, you know, this comfort zone of in the Waikato, and unfortunately, land prices are out of kilter with their their productive ability. However, in saying that, um, I mean we're using the share milking uh, business as a as a vehicle to you know just to continue accumulating wealth, and um, I think. Uh, Looking at it optimistically, you know the definition of land ownership uh, can be can be sliced and diced whatever way you want. Um, I mean, sometimes I think would you know would you would you rather milk 180 cows on a 60 hectare farm or be a an equity partner in in 400 cows? And you know, when I actually think and uh, crit- critically look at that, I'd probably rather be in a larger farm because I enjoy the the challenges of working with staff and there's there's a bit of um, there's a bit of variety, uh, you know, when you go back to that uh, 180 cow farm, I've, I've probably got a number of skills you would probably never fully utilize. So that, that's kind of kind of what's banting around with us. And I suppose there's one other key point. Um, as a share milker, you're, you are living a nomadic lifestyle. Like we're, we're, we're in equivalent to a rented house. And I suppose um, being unable to maybe put your own taste and flavor on on the property you live in is, is something that, you know, we want to try and change. So, yeah, look, we're... We do spend plenty of time uh, bouncing ideas, uh, but I guess at the end of the day, cash is king, right? And uh, just about position yourself for these things when they when they might come up. But there's no denying the the share milking model is it would be hard to walk away from because it does does generate good cash if you if you know what you're doing. And to come back to a point now that that you've mentioned several times, and it is the people, and and even you mentioned you know people moved with you um, from farm to farm, um, you know starting out you were quite young when you started managing people back in the mid noughties but you know was it a big learning curve, and is there one or two big lessons from managing people that you've taken from it? Yeah, that's a good question, and um, I never really. I'm just trying to trying to search for an answer. Um, I suppose probably one of the things that and I've probably observed this more than experienced it, thankfully, is just when 
when your business gets a bit bigger, um, it's just important not to be your staff's best friend. Um, they gotta be gotta be aligned there. Now I'm not I'm not saying a, a, a great working relationship is is really, really good, but you just need to sort of keep that little bit of distance because in times of conflict or in times of uncomfortableness, it's just a little bit easier to uh, to sort of clarify, you know, who who's in charge here, so to speak. Um yeah, I mean I I, I probably I don't know whether this will last forever, whether my body can withhold it. But, uh, you know, early in my early on years, I was a great believer of never, never getting somebody to do something I wouldn't do and not be afraid to roll up your your sleeves and jump into the trenches with them. And, and I was probably lucky to be able to do that in the sense that I enjoyed every minute of it. I have found, though, as as the business has grown, I'm probably I'm probably spending only 60% of my time actually farming and the other 40 is, is, is managing other aspects be, be that uh, there's a lot of paperwork now. And just, just um, even with, so we're, we're dealing with two different owners and there's, there's commitments there with reporting and, and things and, and not to forget our family as well. Um, which I'm very grateful that the scale of our business allows me a bit more flexibility in, uh, in some of those um, fam- uh, the family things. But I think particularly post COVID, the realization is that we are extremely lucky. Like we've got a team of people here. They've signed on for another year. We will never take that for granted because the reality is to find motivated, genuine, good people out there is very, very hard. And that's, that's one big challenge that New Zealand farmers are facing right now, particularly with um, a strain on the border and and sort of uh, restrictions around who can get a visa and who not. So we should never, never take for granted the people people we have. And I'm sure that's no different in an Irish context at this moment in time. Yeah, and I think that there are two two excellent points, Olin. Like when you when you think about it, you know, it's it is really important that there's a good working relationship, but in a way there is that line of of, of charge on a farm. And, you know, also that idea of you stepping back from the parlor or stepping back from some of the day-to-day jobs you know if we think about it you're running three different parlors you mentioned two landowners so it can't all be the day-to-day stuff and if it is you kind of lose track of the the bigger picture um I, I guess finally Olin if if you think about the career path that you have laid out for yourself in New Zealand over the last two decades and you bring your back to yourself back to the Irish context now like over the last decade there's been massive expansion and in the middle of that quotas um, you know effectively disappeared overnight um, if you were starting out now in Ireland do you think you could replicate it um, you know here on the ground in Ireland? Yes, yeah, tricky, tricky question, because I suppose it's hard not to deviate back to where I was at the start of my career in Ireland and very much um, nearly a straitjacket on every farmer. And I often wondered how the abolition of quotas would turn out because it was like nearly taking a walking frame away. And I don't mean this uh, disrespectful, but, you know, there was that your whole farming philosophy was was geared upside down when you you know when you look in from the outside in from a New Zealand context that you're actually forced to restrict your output um, and then then that's gone how people responded but obviously um, the switched on people have uh, made great inwards so sorry go back to the question um, the uh, yeah what I I, I I mean I know we're probably I've been probably steadily growing over a number of years. Um, 
would I have got up to that scale? I don't think I would. Um, we touched on one point. I think the um, the ability to to leverage off the cows and get the security over the cows has has meant bigger jumps quicker. I probably the other thing too a lot more established farms of greater size that gives us the scale. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's probably there's potentially like a bottleneck if people are racing for that larger job. There's probably lot, a lot less larger opportunities. I know lease farms seem to be opening up, but in a share milking context, um, there may not be the the number of jobs for the people wanting them at that scale uh, as well. Um, although although the, the, the key thing, and I've seen it here in New Zealand, uh, people there's actually a lack of people with the ability to you know to run large number two things the people are struggling to accumulate the um the cash or the the equity required to to secure these big jobs and then and then the other thing is the, the people management thing is huge and it does not everyone's uh cut cut out for it um i just want to touch on one other comment just going back to our staffing thing um but things you learn i think um Another thing that we've been very lucky with in our growth phase is we've been able to we've been able to offer um, higher positions for some of our staff, and that's kind of kept them hungry and, and, and kept them challenged. And I've no doubt that should hopefully continue. Um, when I look at share milking and potentially leasing farms, there's there's a need for for people to run those. Um, so if we can have sort of ready-made people within our organisation, it leaves that leaves that opportunity a lot easier to attain because you've got you know you've got someone ready to run it so I thought that's just quite important about um you're actually it's a win-win you're growing someone for future prospects in your business but you're also growing them as a person so um I think it was just worth noting that absolutely this has been a really interesting conversation Olin and while you are at the other end of the world, there are so many things that we can take uh, from the the conversation, like from the outset, talking about, you know, those sliding door moments that get you to where you are, you know, when you reflect on, on the journey, but also the, the various skills that you have um, garnered along the way, um, you know, across the last two decades of your farming career. Thank you, Olin. Thanks. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for the opportunity. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Olin Greenan for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.